0: This is All of It on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. We continue now with our annual series, The Big Picture. That's when we talk with some of the folks, the Oscar-nominated folks, who worked behind the scenes to make these excellent films. Today, we're speaking with the costume designer who brought Robert J. Oppenheimer to life, Ellen Mirajnik. Mirajnik has worked in Hollywood since the 70s. She created the costumes for classic films like Wall Street, Fatal Attraction, Chaplin, Twister, and Basic Instinct. She worked on Bridgerton. She won an Emmy for her work on the television movie Behind the Candelabra, turning Michael Douglas into Liberace. For Oppenheimer, Ellen was tasked with balancing period authenticity with details and silhouettes that work for color, black and white, and IMAX. She had to create hundreds of costumes for scientists and politicians and Army generals. Plus, she traveled the globe to find the perfect hat. Opperheimer wears it for most of the movie. Ellen Mirajnik is nominated for Best Costume Design at the Oscars for her work on this film, and she joins us now to discuss. Hi, Ellen.
1: Hi, Alison. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Born and raised New Yorker?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think I lived in New York for most of my life until I moved to California. And then moving to California, I always traveled back to New York and worked in New York. And once a New Yorker, you're never not a New Yorker. What do you think growing up in New York, which is really, I think, the capital of style,
0: whether it's the most high fashion to the kid on the subway platform has great style. What about living in New York influenced your eye and your design
1: sense? I think, I, I think. The, the amount that you can absorb just by living in new york. it 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 is a large amount. There are a lot of people. There's a lot, there's a lot of art. There's a lot of ways in which you can interpret everything that you see every day of the week. And I think as it, as um a kid, a young kid, I was able to my parents would take me to the Met. They would take me to the modern. They would take me to museums. They would take me to the theater. They would take me to other cultural things, dance, every, every, um, everything that you could imagine. But I think that all of it all together became that melting pot that equaled something that would be, I guess, the foundation for my aesthetic sensibility. What was
0: your very first feature film?
1: Oh, my very first feature film was a film nobody saw. Nobody (laughs) would ever see. (laughs) Nobody. It was a film called The French Quarter. Um, It. I I used to before designing costumes. I was a ready-to-wear designer. Um, I didn't really start to design costumes till the end. Well, kind of, the end of the seventies, where I was an assistant. But at that point, um, I was tired of designing clothing. And needed something else to kind of jump into. And and what was before me was this opportunity to do this film, The French Porter, because they didn't have a costume designer. It was that simple. And I said yes. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But it was um it was something I just jumped into. And what happened was the kind of film that it was was I would call it soft porn, frankly. Okay. Um it was very heavily Art, no, maybe I wouldn't call it, well, I'd call it soft porn. It wasn't an ex-film. It wasn't an ex. But in any event, it took place in 1910 to 19, or 1912. So it was a period epic of sorts that took place in the French Quarter in a house of ill repute. And I did the costumes because they wore costumes. They weren't just naked girls. And I don't know what happened to the film. I never saw the film as a result. <laughs> But I did everything on the film. I learned how to think on my feet, hmm. design costumes for no money, um, put, them, um, put them on characters that had some kind of meaning, and, hmm. um, and be able to tell the story. And that's what I learned really immediately from it. It was really about storytelling as opposed to designing clothing. Our Pracker Jack producers are
0: on it. French Quarter is a 1978 American drama <laughs> film directed by Dennis drama Kane film. and telling oh, yes, two parallel right. stories set in the red light district of New Orleans. One contemporary, one turn of the century. The film has music composed by Dick Hyman. Well,
1: there you, there go. you go. There you go. There you go. I don't know if you can get it though. Can your producers find out if you get it? <laughs> All right. put them. On. <laughs> I never saw it. I never saw it. I never saw it. But I'm just curious. <laughs> What made you decide to join this project, Oppenheimer? I was offered the opportunity. Um I I met with Chris and Emma, Chris Nolan and Emma Thomas and we had a lovely meeting and I didn't when I when I met them it wasn't clear what I was what the project was that I was going to meet on. Um because you you just go and meet, you have a meeting and this and and I guess, feel each other out is a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was offered the opportunity and I jumped at it. Uh, You know, there are very, there's Chris Nolan is of a rare breed. Mm -hmm. He is a magnificent director, a magnificent storyteller, writer, visionary. He is a leader like I don't, I haven't seen in years in terms of a director. Mm -hmm. And so it would, I, I, how do you say you would never say no, right? Mm-hmm. He said, "I said absolutely, absolutely, I'd love to." And um, it was something that I, I think really did uh, make a difference in my uh, in mm-hmm. my ability to collaborate. In my uh, I think it made a difference in how I viewed work. Mm-hmm. I think that the the team that he puts together is like no other team that you could imagine it is par excellence beyond your wildest dreams and working with him and the team is like no experience i've ever had so i think that it really it it actually was it was a it was a project that really changed my world
0: my guest is ellen mirajnik she is oscar nominated for best costume design for her work on Oppenheimer. Let's talk about the hat, the hat he wears in the film. The hat is so important. It's a hat that we've seen him in in historical photos. What details did you have to go on that you wanted to, that was helpful, that were helpful? And how did you eventually get it right?
1: Well, what you have to go on is what the images that you see, tons of imagery, which is really quite helpful and very, um, the thing about working on Oppenheimer is that the first thing that you have in terms of research is the opportunity to actually immerse yourself in all of the research Mm -hmm. that uh, fortunately is documented. And the image of the hat and how he wears the hat and what type of hat was all that we had to go on. We didn't even have a color photograph. So how, how we went about it was taking the picture is it's kind of simple in a way, taking the picture, sending it to what we, we really felt were really, really the finest hat makers in the world and see what they would come up with. Mm. We guessed that the color, to be honest, it was kind of a taupey gray and a changeable color in the light that was able to be changeable in the light. And, um, the first hat that came back from Italy was lovely, but not right. Mm-hmm. It was too thick. It wasn't really the right shape. It didn't really have the right hand. And I, this is only bir- the only way we were determining this was by virtue of what we saw. And each time you saw another picture of Oppenheimer, you saw the brim in another. And mm. in, in, in another way in which it was folded or, or tipped or mm-hmm. um, how it looked on his head. So Italy wasn't right. Then we came t- back to New York and did uh, the same journey. Wasn't right. Same thing. Different fabrication, but wouldn't, didn't work. So we were in a pickle. I would say we were in a pickle and we determined where the, we, we t- tried to determine where are we going to go. Well, we went to Hollywood. We were in Hollywood actually working, but we we decided to try Baron Hat Hat Makers, uh, Mark at Baron Hat Makers and see if we could do it there. He's made hats for movies that every single kind of hat you could imagine, and it was worth a try and the result was perfect. It was perfect from the moment we took it out of the hat, out of the box and put it on Killian's head. We knew that we had the right, the right hat, the right fabric. It was from South America, I believe. It was a hundred percent, it was undyed, hundred percent felted wool of some sort. But it was the hand was perfect. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wherever, whatever animal it came from, I'm sorry to say, in South America, it gave us pleasure to put it on his head.
0: I read that you considered David Bowie one
1: of your references for Oppenheimer, and that's fascinating. Well, actually, it is kind of fascinating. Actually, it wasn't me. The credit goes to Chris Nolan. And Chris Nolan, Mm -hmm. when he first asked Killian to um, become Oppenheimer, it was before I was involved. And he sent him, um, he not only read the material, he sent him some references, and some of the references he sent him with David Bowie and David Bowie Mm. from the early 70s. Um, I believe it was the American Life tour and that at that moment where his shoulders were quite extended, his silhouette was broad and voluminous at the same time. And even the way he cocked a hat on his head gave reference to a feeling and a silhouette, which I found after, after coming aboard Found absolutely fascinating because that was uh, that was like thirty and forty years later that the reference became what it was um, that Oppenheimer had imagined for himself because Oppenheimer was a was a man that ha- had very clear ideas mm-hmm. about how how he was going to be presented and and actually what. What he wanted to, how he wanted to be presented, how he wanted others to see himself, his iconographic way in which he styled himself in a way, Mm -hmm. Um, his silhouette, his hat, Mm -hmm. his pipe—all very much pre-planned. So it was kind of fascinating that that was 1942 and 43, and. David was 1971 and it connected beautifully.
0: Louis Strauss, played by Robert Downey Jr., he, yeah. you know, his clothing is so important to this film. He's a man of means. He's a, we he's a power broker. <laughs> what was something you did in his costuming to tell us? This is a powerful man.
1: Well, everything was bespoke. Every everything oh, bes- everything in Gillians. Everything and and the, the major uh, uh, characters of the film was all made. It was all bespoke and made for them. And and the reason is is that in that way you can actually create silhouettes and an idea that is far easier than you know you're designing the character with Robert and Strauss. Um, I think that what was really important from. The get-go was to define his silhouette as if the fabrications were cut on his body, and so that in having that and having the right tailor truthfully cut his clothes was oh, that was the key to defining. <clears throat> Pardon me, I have this very strange throat these day, that today I don't know why. Um, Take your time; it's all good. Um, but Strauss. Strauss was head-to-toe pristine in Mm -hmm. his appearance. From Pardon me. His shirts are are all made. His ties were made. His suits were made. Mm -hmm. His shoes were made. But what we did, and the little Easter egg that we did, was that we developed a monogram for him. His shirts were monogrammed. His handkerchiefs were monogrammed. His inside his suits monogram, everything had the Lewis Strauss monogram and that little Easter egg just, I think it adds something to a character's, um, his, to a character and an actor's ability to just become one. And, um, it was a great, great little device. It was very subliminal, Mm -hmm. but it was perfectly placed, always. Um, We only saw it in a handkerchief, when he takes out a handkerchief. But even in those little details, those little details kind of say a lot about the pristine um, elegance that he tries to portray.
0: My guest is Ellen Mirajnik. She is nominated for Best Costume Design,
1: an Oscar for
0: Oppenheimer. Um, so, yeah, aside from the main characters, you have a huge amount of, of people <laughs> to, on, yes. this, on this. And, and how many costumes do you know? Do you know how many costumes for the sh- for the? It's
1: over about over a thousand, I think, wow. altogether. Oh, but it's over per- different periods. Yeah. You know, we span like 45 years. So you have the classrooms in the 20s you have the schools in the thirties, you have the Los Alamos, you have the Senate Washington in the fifties and the sixties. So altogether you have to really, really think about putting together costumes for all of the background talent that is going to participate. Aside from the 73 speaking parts that were in the film, the 73 speaking Mm -hmm. parts were very you know these scientists were amazing they were guys who were going to change the world and they knew that they had they had something that was waiting to that they were waiting to be able to execute this chaos or uh, this this genius chaos that existed in all of them coming together to create something that did change the world at that time and they were all it was all for it was all for the great the good the good and the great
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the, and saving the world it wasn't meant as an negative at all. Unfortunately the complexity of the situation led to kind of where our the relevancy of it today is mm-hmm. the unfortunate part. But these scientists were like they were like the rock stars of that time they could they walked on on air it was quite an amazing they weren't nerdy they were geniuses and they all had a different identity although you would when we sometimes think of that oh that's a group of scientists they'll be da 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 da." no Hmm. each had a very very singular identity and they were very 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 um they were very very cool guys they were hip they were cool at that time, yeah, that science was an art, and mm-hmm. it was like it was the music of of the moment. I want to talk about the Trinity test sequence. You have scientists
0: and all different kinds of lab outfits and different eye coverings, yeah. gobble, goggles. What information did you have of what people wore at that time? It was
1: it, we we did see a, quite a bit of photographic research. It was all done mm-hmm. through research, to be honest. And, and there was great documentation, great documentation. So we, we felt that it was necessary to mix it all up so that you got a feel of the type of people that um, came, from, came from putting this all together to see the result. And they were technicians, they were scientists, they were lab people. Um, all of which knew what they were going to be exposed to and took precaution. They're, um, it, when we see the glasses or their, what they shield themselves with, it all is very, very carefully planned.
0: You know, I think you may have answered it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. When I was interviewing okay. um, uh, Luis Seguera, for Nightmare Alley, mm-hmm. and he said uh-huh. he drew, made his team crazy trying to find the right button on the jacket uh-huh. because he yes. said that button is twelve feet high on the screen.
1: Right. You know,
0: if it looks plastic, no, it's got to be tortoiseshell or whatever it was. Is there a detail like that for you in the? You mentioned the monogram, but I'm wondering if there's another detail in in Oppenheimer that was like that for you.
1: Well, what what, what I. The different, that you know, everybody, each designer has a different type of, mm. oh, pardon me, a mm. different type of um, signature that they look for. <laughs> and, pardon me.
0: My guest is Ellen Mirajnik. She is Oscar nominated for Best Costume Design for her work in Oppenheimer.
1: And- um. um I, for me, what's most important, to be honest, is the silhouette. Hmm. I, the little details are... Yes, all the little details add up to be a one large, um, large statement. However, the silhouette comes first for me because the identifying silhouette is what is 12 feet high. And that silhouette mm-hmm. has to be identifiable to each member of the audience. As they learn the story and watch this character evolve through the story. So I actually, so in Oppenheimer, there's a very, very specific silhouette that we see continue through his life and the added touches of the details are equally important to me. However, they're not, the belt buckle is not going to be 12 feet high. It's going to be within the silhouette. The hat and the hat band is going to be within the silhouette as is the pipe, for example. Um, With straws, the quality of the fabrication of his suits will be IMAX quite in your face. I mean, the beauty of this film in IMAX is that, you know, we always feel with IMAX, it is a big landscape. It's bold and it's epic, but... The beauty of IMAX in this film is that it gives it an intimate feel as well. Mm -hmm. And that intimacy comes from from Oppenheimer's first-person point of view. You see it through his eyes, and you're right there with him. So you feel and Mm -hmm. see everything in, I would say, in the... From the waist up, you feel with an intensity that is a little different than how you normally imagine what IMAX can produce. If that does that make sense? Sure. How's it feel? Getting Oscar nomination
0: at this point in your career? It's the
1: thrill of my lifetime. It is the thrill of my lifetime. I, you know, I can't say that I necessarily dreamt about this, and so you know, you do dream about it, but you don't dream about it like it's going to happen to you, <laughs> you know? And then it happens to you and you are just on cloud nine. It's it's just like nothing I've ever experienced in, in my life. That feeling of hearing your name called, or the mm. film called, your name isn't called, but the film is called that morning of nomina- nominating, the nominations being announced um, for the Academy Awards and there comes your film. And I uh. i fell off the bed. It was, like, <laughs> it was a moment that In I'll time. never forget for the rest of my life. Ellen
0: Mirajnik, nominated for Best Costume Design. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you
1: so much for having me.